the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Maybe especially in late, very late December, there's something appealing about the contrast between darkness and light. It's interesting, though, you find this in mythologies and philosophies from all around the world, this juxtaposition of dark and light. Sometimes they exist in a balance, as in that symbol of the yin and yang, with the dark and light half that contain and define each other. Sometimes they're locked in eternal struggle, like in the Persian religion of Zoroastrianism, where there's a battle between goodness and light on the one hand, and darkness and evil on the other hand, and they struggle with one another for control of our universe. Sometimes the darkness is understood as a corruption of the light, as in some derivatives of Augustinian thought, such as Star Wars, where the dark side of the Force takes the goodness and power of the Jedi and transmutes it into the evil and corruption of the Sith. In recent years, some scholars have questioned whether the use of images of light and dark in the liturgies of the church should be challenged for the racial connotations and implications this brings in, a, in an American context. They point to the ways in which Europeans and white Americans have equated darkness of skin with the need for enlightenment as an excuse for enslavement and colonization. And they're probably right, those things are true. And at the same time, I think that that contrast between darkness and light is somewhere deeper in our psyches. We human beings who evolved in a world without electric lighting or night vision goggles are used to darkness as a place of prowling wolves, or at least stubbed toes. Darkness is the place where at once our deepest fears live, things we cannot see, and where our deepest wonders can be found although you wouldn't know it if you stepped outside on a city night and looked up in the sky. There's something deeply embedded in us, I think. While millions, probably billions of children throughout the world have needed night lights in their lives, I don't know anyone who's scared of the light. And yet all these concepts of darkness and light seem to me to be a little bit off. There is no balance between darkness and light. There is no struggle between them. Darkness is not a corruption of light. Darkness in itself does not exist. Total darkness comes from one of two things, either the total absence of light or the total absorption of light. A dark room is dark because there's nothing to light it, and even a small light can be seen. And a dark fabric, of course, is dark because nothing reflects off it. It receives all the light and sucks it in like a black hole. This strange gospel of John begins with a story of Christmas told in such a strange way. Each of the four gospels, of course, tells the story of Jesus' life and his adult ministry, but each one has its own perspective. And so Mark's Jesus springs into being as an adult, being baptized in the River Jordan by John. Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas pageant stories we're familiar with from the last few weeks, although each one tells a completely different part. For John, this is it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Merry Christmas. No holy family, no stable or inn, no choir of angels singing in the sky, but the eternal word of God, philosophical and yet fleshly. The life that is the light of all people, that shines in the darkness and is not overcome, becoming flesh and living among us. John tells the story of Jesus' birth as a new light coming into the world, a new light being poured into our hearts, a true light coming to enlighten everyone. And yet the world, John says, did not know him. And that seems right. The true light has come into a dark world, and yet the world remains, the very least, somewhat dim. And this Gospel of John, which begins with the proclamation that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it, still culminates, like all the rest, with the crucifixion, with the light going out. And then, of course, it finishes with the resurrection as the light returns even stronger than before. Darkness has no power over light, no existence in itself. There is no struggle or competition between the two. And yet it feels like a struggle sometimes to see the light, doesn't it? I wonder what the reasons are that sometimes it's hard to see the light in the world and in ourselves and in other people. Sometimes I think it's because the world is actually so bright, because there are so many other lights vying for our attention and so like a candle in a dark room that has the overhead lights turned on, the light doesn't seem so bright. There are so many things, especially around Christmas time and New Year's, that we've lit against the darkness to try to drown it out, that we sometimes can't see that simple flame. That simple light of God's love for us seems somehow dim compared to, oh, I don't know, the ball dropping in Times Square. I made the mistake, by the way, this week of driving down to like the 70s on the west side in New York City where we were visiting my in-laws. Um, not the week to be driving in Manhattan. Sometimes, though, it's because we've hidden the light. Jesus tells the disciples that they are the light of the world, and then he warns them not to hide that light under a bushel basket. And sometimes we do exactly that. Sometimes we hide the light in ourselves, pretending that it's not there for fear of judgment or to keep it for ourselves. Sometimes we hide the light in others, putting on subconscious sunglasses, that stop us from seeing the light in people who don't look like us or talk like us or vote like us. Sometimes we don't see light because it's gone out, because the candle has burned down or the fuel is running low or the chimneys haven't been swept in a little too long and we can't light a fire. And that makes it sound like it's your fault if your candle has gone out, but it's usually not your fault. Sometimes a storm has come through and taken out every power line in your life and you just have to sit in the darkness or scrounge around for flashlight batteries and wait for someone somewhere to reconnect the power lines. And yet the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And it turns out the darkness cannot overcome it because there's no such thing as darkness, really. Our opening prayer this morning is one of my favorites. God, it says, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light enkindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives. In the imagination of this prayer, we're like those glow-in-the-dark stars you can stick on a ceiling. We absorb light from outside, 
it kindles light in us, and that light shines into the worlds. It's almost as if they'd read the Bible once or twice before they wrote some of these prayers in the prayer book. The light shines in the darkness to enlighten us so that we may be the light of the worlds. The light is all God's, and the light cannot go out, no matter how dark the world may be. But the light shines out into the world from you and through you. So I wonder, this 2024, as you make your New Year's resolutions and so on, what do you need to be able to see God's light shining in yourself? What do you need to see it in other people? What lights in the rest of your life need to be dimmed a little to see that light more clearly? What bushel baskets might need to be removed to let it shine into the world? Which chimneys need to be swept out in your life? Which lamps need to be refilled to keep burning clear and bright? What light is God pouring out on you this year? And how might you have a fire kindled in your heart? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.